12th episode, 12 weeks in a row we've been here for the brand new readiness reports. It's really not even brand new anymore. No, it's not. It's still kind of learning, like, how yeah, the rest of out. it. Got I mean, right, set again. Yeah, right and... now. So we've actually moved to the lab. Uh, people probably don't even realize that the Red, Red Cut One office, the headquarters now, has a lab, although the lab is, doesn't have any equipment here and now has a whole shitload of cameras and lights. Yeah, and, it's getting commandeered right now. Yeah, it's almost like this is the studio room now. I know it makes we're, a nice studio. It is. Look at the cool background and everything. Johnny, can you show the like the the background? Oh, we need to like move it up, huh? So this is like the this is like the screaming eagle or something of the uh, of the red cone set behind me. Yeah, that, that's not. Yeah, there, there we go. go. Wow, that's pretty cool. That could be an angle, Johnny, for next time. Uh, we're not centered exactly, but you know that's that's why we were saying we're still learning over here. Uh, yeah, but we're it is cool. out the, the studio on the second floor, so we'll actually have a kind of like a new set moving forward. Yeah, and, and we can we can do something cool like this behind us for the yeah. next one too. So twelve shows in a row, a lot of great guests, and tonight we have a, an awesome show. I'm very excited about the next several shows. On the next show, actually, Mark helped set it up. On the next show, we have Roger Stone. Uh, if you haven't seen, uh, it was it's show, the movie called Get Me Roger Stone, right? Yeah, it's on Get Netflix. Me, on Netflix, man. Super, super good uh, movie slash documentary. I mean, really, it's a, it's like a so it, it goes over Roger Stone's life and, and politics, but also more more uh, I guess focused on the 2016 presidential race for Donald Trump. He helped Donald Trump win, and uh, very, very interesting guy. And I'm excited to have him on the show next week and the following week. We haven't fully set it up yet, but I'm 99% sure that we're going to have General David Petraeus on the show, which is going to be. Super duper excited, which also Mark helped out get. So Mark's, Mark might be influential. Yeah, Mark's, Mark's the man over here. Um, so uh, we're going to um, actually do the news with the guests. Tonight's our actual second panel show. Our last panel show, we had Colin Wayne. We had uh, Sean Rosario, uh, SEAL Team 6 and then, uh, vet. And then Carl Lenore. And Carl Lenore, my close friend who actually got me started in the whole fitness industry, Carl Lenore. So uh, we've had a lot of cool guests on, and uh, this show is no different. And uh, this show actually could be arguably the most triggering show so far. <laughs> I have a feeling it will be. <laughs> and, and the reason for that, I'm going to introduce the, I mean, you know what, I'm going to introduce Louis Marco and then and I'll have Mark, I'll tell a little bit about Mark and Mark actually has a great story and we'll have, oh, Mark's a, an awesome story. And we'll have Mark tell a little bit. And if you haven't seen Mark before, he's our first guest to actually come back for, for two shows. So Mark is the, the first guy doing that. And if you haven't seen him before, I'm going to let him tell a little bit about himself and his history. Before we get and going, Mark was our first in-house guest. Our first in-house guest, and maybe our last in-house guest. Also, oh, your wife? Oh, my wife. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, well, so they were on the same show, weren't they? They were, but she was last. Yeah, she was last, literally last. So, uh, without further ado, I want to introduce my good friend, uh, Louis Marco. Louis Marco is uh, there. He is right there, the man himself, right now in Canada. Uh, Louis Marco is very well known for being a uh, initially being a internet bodybuilding YouTuber and has transitioned into much more where he talks quite a bit about politics, uh, his belief on uh, on gender roles, his belief on the world at large. And uh, it's interesting because for a living, people always ask when I mention him, well, what does he do to make money? He's actually a physique coach and helps guys, and well, really only guys actually, get into shape and, uh, and has done a fantastic job. If you follow his Instagram, you'll see the results that a lot of his clients have gotten is, are tremendous. And sure, to, I've been to, telling people he's a gigolo. Well, maybe in a past life, not anymore. That's for sure. Uh, that wrong. And then uh, Mark Mark Vargas has been somebody who's deeply involved in politics. You can see him on Newsmax constantly. He's a contributor to many uh, publications and is one hell of a good guy. But I want Mark to tell a little bit about himself because his story is really unique. What do you got, Mark? Yeah, what do you got? Well, it's great to join you guys here. And um, uh, you know, yeah, my 
you know, with all the work that you do with the military and our veterans, my lightning bolt moment was on September 11, 2001, as a student at Judson University in Elgin outside of Chicago. My mom called my dorm room and said, turn on the television. And so I walked into the main TV room in time to see the second plane fly into the World Trade Tower. And at that moment, my life had purpose and direction. Uh, and as soon as the plane flew into the World Trade Tower, the second plane flew in, I turned to the guys in my dorm and I said, I'm going to do something about this. Uh, and so again, my life at that moment had purpose. It was my lightning bolt moment. And so I knew that I wanted to go out to Washington, D.C. and serve my country in some way, shape or form. And through divine intervention, uh, I found myself in Washington with only $72 in my checking account. I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have a job. And I was passing my resume around and I uh, just got connected with the right people. And uh, in 2007, I find myself walking into the Pentagon uh, for an interview to join the staff of the Secretary of Defense to go to Iraq as part of the U.S.'s global war on terrorism. And so I got into the Pentagon and it's an intimidating place to be with all the flags and the seal of all the service branches. And there's Marine colonels and I was just really intimidated. And they essentially asked me one question, you know where you're going, Iraq, why? And I think this was a question that I had been preparing since September 11th as a college student uh, at Judson. And without hesitation, I said, I believe that we're waging the battle of my generation in the Middle East and particularly in Iraq. And one day I wanna look back and say that I was a small link in bringing stability to a war-torn country. It's a great answer. And three weeks later, I was in my first trip into Iraq, into Baghdad, and I took a total of 14 deployments into combat uh, into Baghdad between 2007 and 2010. And so it was an honor, of my, an honor of my lifetime to work alongside and to be embedded with the brave men and women who wear our uniform with our fellow civilian uh, and contractors. Uh, it was just a, a remarkable and unique experience that sort of uh, were the building blocks to sort of where I'm at today in terms of you know consulting and serving my country uh, in different ways. Very cool, Mark. Very unique story. Uh, and Louis Marco has an equally unique story, a much different story, but a, a very unique story. Louis, for people out there uh, who don't know you, can you give us a, a quick snapshot of who is Louis Marco before we get on to the news? Oh, well, first of all, I was born in North Africa. Most of my followers know me now, Algeria. Moved to Canada more or less 30 years ago now with my family. I joined them um, actually. There was turmoil in my country back then, uh, some sort of a civil war. And uh, well, I became known actually on social media more or less a little bit more than uh, than a decade ago. I was I was blogging about a lot of stuff, fitness. I was like I think the uh, one of the top five people who started blogging about fitness. I think the first one was called uh, what's his name? I forget his name. The guy. I remember the old gentleman, uh, Scooby Fitness. I think Scooby nineteen sixty one. Sixty one stands for his birth year. I think. And I was right after him. So I started making videos in my, in my basement back then on how to train. And then I transitioned to blogging about the history of uh, Mr. Olympia and bodybuilding. And that's where you, Aaron, I think you get to know me, right? Because you're into this thing since right. a long time. And me, I was, uh, I think I know, I knew a thing or two about it. And then next thing you know, I connected with the pros and uh, 
I became quite known and, uh, and then I retired more or less three and a half years ago. And since then, Louis, since then, what have you been focused on? Actually, I'm trying to regain my, uh, my privacy. So I'm, I'm not present on social media except on Instagram, which is private on purpose. And uh, I think you did allude to 2016, and it has to do with that because back then there was a lot of controversy um, surrounding your country's election of back then. And I had some uh, opinions, and I think I was censored more or less because of that on my other platforms. And uh, yeah, so it was some sort of a, a sign that your uh, politics are quite sensitive, and if you had some sort of a different opinion from um, the powers that be, I'm talking about the social media platform, namely YouTube, uh, you might basically um, get dinged for that. And that's most, more or less what happened back then. And uh, it was one of the reasons I stopped being a blogger on YouTube. Hmm. Well, tonight, um, more than likely you'll get we're not we're not monetized, Eric. So I was going to say get us demonetized, uh, but uh, we don't have to worry about that over here, Louis. And and uh, so we're going to go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're, we're good to go. So we're not concerned. But what I want to do is I'd like to have you guys go over the news. Generally, Eric and I do the news together, and then we go to commercial break, come back with our guests. But you guys both have a lot of great opinions, and I don't want to uh, just do it with me, Eric. I figured why not get you guys' opinion? Spice it up. Yeah, spice it up. So I'm going to start with the very first one, which is. Uh, Donald Trump won't bet ban TikTok. Do you guys hear about this? Obviously, I, I would imagine both of you guys are familiar with TikTok, heard all about the potential of it being banned. Obviously, it's a Chinese company. And uh, so Donald Trump initially said that it will be gone very, very soon. Yeah. They're even talking about uh, this Monday. Week. Yeah, yeah, this week. And then I guess over the weekend, there were some talks with Microsoft and TikTok. And uh, he said, Donald Trump said, listen, if, if it gets purchased by Microsoft, and this is a big deal. They're talking about anywhere from $10 billion up to uh, $30 billion, depending on the, the size of the purchase. As you can see, <laughs> TikTok is a, a very engaging, entertaining, dancing music. It's not something I'm personally interested in. No, me either. You've never done any TikTok? Oh, it's hard uh, to believe. Private. Private, private TikTok. TikTok. Oh, yeah. private TikTok. Like an OnlyFans TikTok. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's called so. TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> that may, you may you need to trademark that podcast. Get, yeah, get that, right, that right, quick, get that quick, quickly, please. please. It's going to go along with yeah. Silky Tuba. Yeah. So, 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 guys. Um, first off, let's start with Mark. Mark, what do you think? Will the uh, will TikTok be banned? Will it be sold? What's what's the future for TikTok? No, I mean it's a good question. I mean, in all honesty, I think the TikTok thing is providing a it's a huge distraction for the president. And I wish you know he'd focus on, you know the real issues at hand, which is our economy recovering from the coronavirus. Uh, we still deal with uh, numbers rising throughout the country in various areas. Uh, you know, the protesting and rioters and, you know, getting ready for, uh, you know, debates with Sleepy Joe. Um, but, you know, the, the target is China and everything China. And, you know, the question is, is, you know, um, you know, China's involvement with the United States and, you know, we're sort of held hostage you know, they own a lot of our debt and no question that, you know, the the coronavirus, you know, originated in China. So, you know, the president actually operates. Here's a political answer for you. The president operates best when he has an enemy. In 2016, his enemy was Hillary Clinton and he won. Uh, and so now uh, he needs an enemy and it's and it's a clear choice and it's it's China. So, you know, I just kind of hope this thing kind of blows over. And in actuality, it's just a huge distraction. And I think we need to focus on much bigger items. 
You know, I would definitely agree with that. The one thing I will say is, you know, we're not people because people are freaking out over him wanting to ban it. But the interesting thing is that we're not the first country to do that. A lot of countries have either done it or considering it. I know Australia is considering it currently. A bunch of other countries like India have already kicked TikTok out um, because it's uh, it's widely known that that China um, uses or has at least has the potential to use it for uh, data, for uh, location services, potentially, who knows? I don't know about the ability to, to use your camera or microphone, but when you use the app, you allow it. Access you to, to. Yeah. yeah, you have to, obviously. Why nobody reads the terms and conditions, so. Yeah, and, and honestly, they don't give a shit in China anyway, because yeah. it's, it's a government-owned, whether it's based in Hong Kong or anywhere else, ultimately, they can do what they want with it. So, you know, and also, interestingly enough, because, you, you know, Mark, obviously, very involved with politics, senators, uh, representatives are not allowed to have this on their phone. Same with the United States military, Navy. You know, the guys that I know that are active duty for the SEALs are not allowed to have it on their phone. It's a big deal um, to have it on your phone, and uh, you can get a lot of trouble for having it on your phone. So, I mean, all that trouble, obviously, there's got to be something to that, right? Well, because, again, if it could be an actual threat to security. Yeah. Because so, if, if the microphone is picking up your camera, your microphone, yeah. who knows? The location. Yeah. Louis. Do you TikTok? And if so, what's your favorite song to dance to? Actually, I'm not. I'm not on TikTok. Just like I'm not on OnlyFans. But I think that page of the book of, of, of Modi, the Prime Minister of India, who did cancel it actually started like about two weeks ago. As you know, they had some scrimmage along their borders where supposedly 20 uh, soldiers, Indian soldiers, were, were killed uh, by hand, actually. They had some sort of a gentlemen's uh, agreement to not have like armed guards around ar along the border. So that was like a physical fight by hands and, and rocks. And it was a big deal there. So they canceled TikTok because of that. And when it comes to Trump, I noticed that he basically gave a some sort of a warning first before acting. Like today, he literally said that he wants to ban the aluminum from Canada. Of course, he's not gonna, gonna do it, but it is a serious of a threat for them to negotiate. And that's always his first step, I think. He did like counter stand with Mexico and in India. And I do agree with Mark, you need a, some sort of a foreign enemy. Before that, of course, I think it was Mexico. It was the big deal was the wall because you always have a foe. This time around is, is Joe, as he mentioned, Sleepy Joe. And back then it was Hillary. So you always have that. But the foreign opponent, I think is some sort of, of a big deal. The US always have that. It was. Al-Qaeda before, and then it was ISIS before that, it was USSR. And uh, right now, obviously, it is China, the invisible enemy, uh, the Kong flu, uh, the China virus, you name it. So he's, he's banking on that. I don't think he will do it, but better to know, since I'm active on social media and, and, and you are, I have a tremendous followership from India and almost close to none from China. Although these guys are, are numerous, they're like, quarter of our population, but they do not utilize our technology. They have their own search engine, which is the equivalent of, of Google. They have their own thing. I mean, they have their own Instagram for, for all I know, but they do not mingle with us, right? Louis, they even, they even have their own TikTok. They don't have TikTok. They have something else. Exactly. And uh, there's this big issue with 5G, which involved Canada, because I think the, the vice president was captured in Vancouver, and right now she's about to be um, basically uh, extradited to your, uh, to your country on your uh, request. And that's a big, big, big deal. So right now, the battle, the biggest enemy since the USSR, I contend, it is China. So he has no choice but to, to foment that. I mean, his base is very 
um, I mean, uh, that they're very patriotic. So he needs to foment that fire in them. And right now, the invisible enemy, the foe until the elections is definitely China. Yeah. Um, all right. But a very different uh, subject, the XFL. So the XFL was recently, that's a, I, I should have had a better <laughs> transition from that to the XFL, but XFL uh, was per- recently purchased um, in bankruptcy from Dwayne The Rock Johnson and his team, bought it from an investment team, bought it from, well, you know, they bought it out of bankruptcy. So yeah, I don't know but, how that exactly works, but, well, you know, you know we, we have a little experience with GNC, uh, but we're not buying GNC out of bankruptcy. Uh, and uh, so they filed uh, Chapter 11 bankruptcy April 13th, and they've been seeking a buyer for the past three months. Um, it is uh, the XFL was actually doing pretty damn good. Like it was kit getting you know catching on. It's me I put 200 million bucks into this thing. Eh, you probably needed to scrub some money somewhere, but <laughs> well, I mean, because you know, the first time it launched, it was I don't In know 2001. It was yeah, a dud then, right? Yeah, because it was it was too much like wrestling. It was more like sorry, Ryan, don't mean to you burst know, your bubble over wrestling. there. Um, but it was more like characters and less actual sport. And when they brought it back, oh, they got my own show now. Um, so, but when they brought it back, it, they really focused on the sports side of it. Yeah. So for me though, it's like, how many things can you do well? You know what I mean? Like The Rock's got the Titan games, he's acting, he's got Athleticon. To bring this thing back, man, you're gonna have to, someone's gotta be fully focused on this. Like. I think, it's, I think it's safe to say that The Rock's not probably doing shit for most of those things, right? No, he can't, he's just a can't possibly. He can't possibly. They just know that The Rock is gold. You get The Rock, and automatically anything he touches turns to gold, and, and it all does well. I mean, the tequila company, apparently, that he's you know, started is, is absolutely crushing it, apparently. So well, if you're a celebrity, that's the fucking gold mine is start a liquor company. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how well he's doing and how well the, the – really everything he's doing is doing. So it's like when, when people talk about – celebrities with supplement companies you know we both hear all the time like well if he does or like mark Wahlberg is trying one you obviously you've had uh sylvester stallone do arnold. arnold has been they all have done terrible lebron they, yeah lebron there's a long list of them right that have done terrible and there's really no potential i honestly don't see how any of them are successful i don't know how it'll work but the one guy i do think could do it successfully is is the rock because he trains for real he works out for real, he takes supplements for real he brings a gym with him everywhere he goes so who knows? I mean, everything so far he's done has has worked out. And uh, the real question is, you know, Mark, would you watch XFL? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, I loved going to XFL games. Um, and, you know, this is just another this is just another casualty of COVID-19, I think, too. Right. Because of uh, going into bankruptcy. But, you know, the numbers actually are much lower. The ratings, as Trump's likes to say, the ratings, you know, are low for, um, you know, uh, NFL and um, uh, NBA and, and Major League Baseball because of this the kneeling stuff kneeling at the flag and and uh, you know the Black Lives Matter you know they got the slogan painted on the um, NBA court and so there's been a real uh, decline in viewers surprisingly I mean when Tiger Woods played golf you know six and a half million people tuned in to watch Tiger uh, Tiger play not too long ago and I think you know two and a half three million uh, the numbers were shockingly smaller. So, you know, I think this is a unique opportunity for Dwayne Johnson and, and others. And I know that um, diversity and inclusion are going to be a big part of uh, the XFL season, but, you know, Eric's right. It's going to take a lot of uh, full-time uh, management uh, to get this going because of the con- the concerns and, and challenges we have in this new environment, uh, COVID. But, 
you know, it, it'll be interesting to see, but I'm certainly going to watch. And it, this might be a very unique opportunity given some of the frustration that many Americans have right now with the the NBA and and uh, and Major League Baseball being so political right now. Uh, this could be a time for XFL to boost their ratings, and uh, Johnson could probably find a way to get his money back, his ROI, uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, I agree with that. So, Louis, um, you being from Algeria to Canada, um, when you see all the players, because I'm sure you, I know you watch everything. So when you see all the players in the NBA, everybody, well, I wouldn't say everybody, because there's the one Orlando guy who is, who is not kneeling. I don't remember his name, but remember his name? Uh, no, but his jersey sales went through the roof today. Oh, he did that. I'm sure. That's interesting. I'm sure. Um, so, what, Louis, when you see that, what do you think? I mean, what's, what's your, what goes into your head when you see that? All the guys doing that. Uh, you mean uh, the uh, BLM protests related to the NBA? Yes. See, they're all doing. There is the picture. Good job, Johnny. Uh, I'll talk as a Canadian because mo most of my life is here, actually. And uh, the our view from here is totally different when I interact with, let's say, my friends or trainees from, from the U.S. versus the rest of the world. The outlook is totally different. There's a lot of tension. There is some sort of uh, not a new concept, but it has been exacerbated lately. That personally, I do not feel it is, it is quote unquote the white guilt that i see from your especially the left side of you guys in in the us and that they virtue signal so it is three things there is the white guilt that is virtue signaling and there is also uh basically some sort of a plausible deniability and 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 these guys are doing over okay they're doing more than than the rest case in point probably you saw the video i published Three days ago, you had that SJW white guy talking to the black lady. He told her, I am more black than you. Doesn't make sense. So I think it went overboard. So I don't agree with that. Uh, me being mostly white, I don't feel the need basically to kneel as me being a player or being a, a policeman to showcase any type of similarity. I'm, I do not feel compelled to do it. As simple as that. And uh, this, I, I contend. There is the feeling of mo most of my fellow Canadians and by extent, my fellow Algerians. Algeria is a different, different actually um, beast, uh, so to speak. Over there, the racism does not exist. Like in my family, we have people who are darker. My father is white, blue-eyed. It does not exist because there was no history of, of, of actually racism between the races. For all we know, we were basically colonized by the French, who are white people. But me, again, I'm, I'm again white. So, I mean, the dynamic is totally different. But personally, I, I, I just do not agree with this excessive white guilt, virtue signaling, signaling and self-flagellation of your social justice warrior side, especially from the left. Yeah, so there's lots. So we have a lot of that stuff coming up in the, in the actual discussion part, but a story that everybody can be happy about that has no race, religion, et cetera, right? Is uh, the SpaceX astronauts are home. So I think everybody would agree that SpaceX, everybody in this show anyway, would agree that space exploration is an important thing that will be important for the human race uh, going forward. And it's very, very sad to think that um, that the last splashdown event, other than what just happened uh, just recently on Sunday in the Gulf of uh, Mexico was in 1975. It's 50 years? 45 no, years. 35 years ago, right? 45. 45 years. You're right, 45 years ago, yeah. And uh, since then, now, obviously, we have we have had uh, launches and successful landings with uh, with the actual uh, 
shuttle. Yeah. Uh, the shuttle was retired. I don't have that fact here. The shuttle was retired. Like, I think 2011 or 2012. Yeah, it was like the early part of the yeah, I looked that up. 2000, what, what year was the shuttle retired? I remember it happening. I remember I was, uh, I think I was it's dating Darielle or, or, or I was married to Darielle at the time. Because I remember seeing it be like, that's super sad. Like, that's 2011. Yeah, yeah I remember March 9th when I just started dating her. So I, I, remember, uh, I remember that happening and being super sad. And being like, wow. this Dating is like, her or the shuttle? Dating her. Dating Darielle, <laughs> not the shuttle. <laughs> I mean, the shuttle have no past relationship. This is, this is, uh, so uh, I felt sad about, about it because I'm like, man, what's next? There's nothing planned. So now from now on, we're using Russian, uh, Chinese um, shuttles to get up to space. Well, Elon Musk, who I have to admit I was not a fan of until relatively recently. Uh, now I kind of am, but I was not a fan. And uh, we actually own, Eric and I own right. together a Tesla. As a result of, uh, <laughs> we do actually, we have we're officially uh, dating. Yes, and uh, so uh, we're sharing a uh, Tesla uh, Model S performance. Custody. Yeah, yep. You're driving today. I want yep. it tomorrow. Yeah, uh, but uh, but anyway, the uh, this is such a cool thing. So he was able to create a uh, a rocket that can bring people to space. So you see the capsule landing right there in the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, be reusable. The important part is that the rocket lands, uh, obviously, the, the what you just saw, the capsule lands, it can be used, reused over and over again. And even cooler, if you have, what, a cool million bucks or so, a million, million bucks, you can go as soon as December, supposedly. We'll see when the first people actually go. But it'll pay in potential, like, not just, uh, not just, like, low orbit. Like, you can go up into space and yeah. come back. And they're literally taking... Uh, I guess reservations. Yeah, reservations. Yeah, what, right Twenty-five thousand bucks to to reserve spot. a spot, and then it's a million bucks at the time of launch, or maybe it'll probably before that. You can decide how big you want the capsule to be, how much fuel. Even if, remember, they didn't have like, do you want Wi-Fi on the uh, on the on the on the, on the launch pad? <laughs> in right. Case you want a TikTok. Yeah, you want to call. Yeah, you want a TikTok. That would be popular. TikTok. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like to get your suit off enough to do that. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna wear one. There you go. There you go. And so uh, the guys came back. The two uh, gentlemen came back. From this and said that uh that it was a pretty wild ride back and that's the only part that kind of made me the ride up looked okay the ride back you know it can be violent and so they said it was like getting hit in the back with a baseball bat was what they described yeah, that was the- <laughs> so when probably that's when the shoot lifted off and then it goes from like three thousand miles an hour to like 15 miles an hour because well, so. that's the thing yeah it's uh what 350 miles an hour it re utters yep. that and then what 20 or 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit is the amount of heat on the outside. You can see the thing. It's crispy. It's crispy. Yeah, it is literally cooked. I don't know. They're going to reuse that again? Well, I don't know, I don't know if they reuse the, just the, the capsule, just but the they reuse the booster rocket. doesn't look like they reuse that shit again. No, because when they did the testing for the launches, the one rocket that they had to blow up for essentially the safety testing to make yes. sure that the capsule ejected, it had been up five times. Wow. And that they, you know, they go through. Because yeah. essentially the idea is that the rockets are reusable like a commercial airline or a commercial, you know, uh, airplane so that they can keep using it, go back into space, keep doing these commercial trips. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll sign up for it. Yeah, I know you would. I, I, so that's really the question. I think right? the reentry would be the coolest fucking part. Yeah, well, it, I, don't know, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know if that's the coolest part. Uh, you Louis, survive that, you fucking survive anything. <laughs> Louis, would you go up? If it, the trip was free, Louis, and it was uh, sponsored by Redcon 1, would you go up there and uh, fly into space and come back? Absolutely, but there must be a purpose for it. I mean, me uh, looking at my fellow African, because he's South African slash Canadian slash American now, Elon, um, actually, it is worrying uh, for me because the guy is a visionary, right? I mean, he he brought Tesla from the dead. He did not start it, actually. And right now, his obsession 
is with terraforming Mars. I contend because that because he's convinced that we're going down the shitter with all due respect. Uh, I mean, about a month ago on his Twitter, he said something like, I want to sell all my assets. My priority is Mars, right? So it's like he's always accepting the feed that we are almost a failure as a species in this perfect planet. So will he have the time to do that? Of course not. I mean, it would take millennia to terraform a planet, which is technically not perfectly in a Goldilocks zone. But that's what I'm looking at. I mean, I'm, I'm more worried about the, the situation here. I don't think we have enough time as a species to colonize not even the closest rock next to it, which is our moon. So uh, is it senseless? No. I mean, science has to go over. But do, do we have time? I contend not. Yeah. Um, I know uh, I know for uh, for Elon, I just watched an interview recently on YouTube where um, uh, one of his coworkers was saying, uh, somebody who works for him was saying that Elon judges every decision based on, is this bringing us closer to landing on Mars or farther away from landing on Mars? Is this a waste of time in terms of, is this whatever activity bringing us closer to his eventual goal of, of landing on Mars, you know, and uh, getting to Mars for the first time, people getting to Mars yeah. for the first time. Mark, would you get on? Would you get on this thing and fly out there? You're damn right, I would. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm an adrenaline junkie, man. You know, when you fly into a combat zone, you know, you've got that uh, that combat approach. You know, so within 20 minutes of flying into Baghdad Airport, uh, they close the window shades, shut off all the lights, and you begin a spiral descent because within 15,000 feet you're within range of shoulder mounted rocket grenade launchers and so they can hear you but they can't see you uh and so you know the talk about an adrenaline rush flying in and out of baghdad and when you take off same thing close all the window shades they shut off all the lights and you literally go straight up in the air once you lift wheels up off the runway um so that you can climb above fifteen thousand feet uh as fast as humanly possible to get out of range of those uh rockets so Man, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I would go, uh, but it's exciting. I mean, I think this is this is patriotic. You know, it's uh, like Kennedy's 1962 moon speech at Rice University in Houston. I mean, it was a famous one of the, one of the greatest speeches I think in U.S. history. And Kennedy talked about we're going to go to the moon not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Uh, and just the imagery that he used in describing we're going to send a man to the moon and we're going to do it first, and it's going to be a rocket ship the size of this football field, maybe even bigger. And he said, and it's going to be made of materials not yet invented. Uh, and so we've got the smartest minds. We've got the best scientists um, the world has ever seen. And so, you know, my hat's off to Elon Musk for, I think, kind of generating that excitement and patriotism at a time where I think we need it. Uh, and to see that rocket go up into the sky uh, and for that crew to come back safely uh, means that we're just one step closer to whatever it is uh, that we want to do. And and I know that President Trump wanted to send a bunch of the fake news media and put them on that rocket. So, so, so maybe uh, Musk can create a fake news ship and uh, we can put all the put all the media on that one and launch it into space. <laughs> send them off and they just somehow the rocket doesn't come back. Just, oh, here's, here's <laughs> I, uh, so I think, uh, you know, Unfortunately, because the year has been so difficult, you know, it's been a it's been a very tough year, obviously for for everybody. Um, when this actually went off and the, the rocket ship was flying away, I didn't really voice it to people, 
but I felt like, oh man, like these guys are doomed. Honestly, I, I had like a bad feeling about them leaving. Actually, Eric knows we were, I was trying to watch it pretty close. So we ended up missing the launch because we something was going on at work or whatever. But uh, I was worried about these two guys, the gentlemen we're seeing here. And, and when they were landing, I was also worried because I just feel it felt like, you know, with everything going on, the craziness going on in the world, like what, you know, what can you expect other than failure? Right? I think we we probably subconsciously didn't watch it. We knew what was going on and didn't watch it just in case shit went tits up. Yeah, that would not have been good. Right. It would not have been good. So blessing Awadibu. Uh hopefully everybody watching knows him. If bless if you don't know Blessing, he's a Red Con one athlete and he's also uh, an animal lover and is willing to play tug of war with an 800 pound liger. Now, he wasn't actually close to him this time, <laughs> no, thankfully. Either. Through the he, but he's done everything crazy. Oh, you wouldn't believe God, the like... things that uh, blessing is. Oh, look, click the bear one. That's crazy. No, the bear one. Let's go to the bear one first, Johnny. Look at this guy. <laughs> he's look. This is a brown bear, just like it looks like he's about to eat his face off. <laughs> and if you go, if you look to the rest, let's play the video, Johnny, and look for some other pictures of crazy stuff that that uh blessing has done with animals it's like he uh has no fear of animals which is probably an unhealthy thing i would think look up look at this liger it's like blessings giving all it's got this it's just like having just a good playing. time yeah as soon as as soon as the liger she starts actually pulling it's like watch this it's like he's got no shot as long as it's, as long as it's pretty good it reminds me of uh nola our dog pulling on a thing this is much bigger Eight hundred pound Nola, much more dangerous. He's doing pretty good. He's holding. He's holding his own. Uh, right. I wonder how oh much they trained her to not like. Oh, she, oh, she went for it there. Oh, yeah. Then she thinks she's gonna get it. All right, Johnny. So when we were in Dubai, uh, Eric and I were in Dubai. Um, this is after we were in Dubai with uh, Lou. Yeah, it was, was a different time. But we went to. He went to Dubai with us, right? He went to, yeah, yeah. We went to Dubai. Yeah, and, but we went back the second Wawan, time, right? And we went in uh, yeah. Adele Wawan, who was our host. We had to leave, but uh, he stayed back a few days extra. And he actually played with what do you he had a chimpanzee? It was a chimpanzee. He got in a cage with. Yeah, he got in a cage, or was it a gorilla? No, which was he? I don't know. It's, it's on his Instagram, but yeah, he was. He got. And that's when he dressed up like. Yeah, he pretended to be a gorilla naked in the cage. Yeah, which is probably was, not the smartest really, idea. But you know, this was pre craziness. Now, yeah. now it would really be not. Oh you know, God, we, you and I get in trouble. Yeah. We didn't even do it. Yeah, we were like, thank God he didn't tag Redcon in that. You know, <laughs> that was a little um, cringeworthy. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, he he is a character, and everybody loves Blessing. And I tell you what, when we went to Dubai, he is one hell of a popular guy there. People love him. And uh, one of the best things about Blessing is he doesn't take himself seriously, nope. not at all. And maybe so, maybe too little. <laughs> and uh, and that he loves the fans, man. He loves very different than most bodybuilders. Uh, not that bodybuilders don't like the fans, but they don't want to go out of their way um, on their own. Uh, you kind of have to push them to, oh, to be yeah, out there. No. Blessing will stay out there with the fans at an expo till you make him leave. And then also, too, no bodybuilder is going to do what he did and risk injury with playing tug of war. No. I mean, no. they would probably get one picture and then that's it. Where yeah, she kept going out. Oh, man. So one thing that I know uh, Louis Margo has uh, a lot of, he has a lot of fans in the Middle East. He has a lot of clients in the Middle East. Uh, he speaks fluent Arabic. So he has a lot of, uh, because of that, uh, he has a lot of people that he works with, clients. And I know, Lou, you had some clients in Beirut, Lebanon just recently who uh, were, I guess, tangentially um, involved with the explosion. That's correct, unfortunately. I have a lot of friends there. A lot of people think that I am Lebanese because I love their food. One of my favorite restaurants here is a Lebanese joint. 
And uh, yeah, of course, I mean, when I woke up, uh, the video just surfaced and um, everybody was asking what's going on. Okay, is the port, is it an attack? Um, is it uh, ammunitions? Because obviously, you know, there are a lot of militias there who definitely hold more power than the local government. Better to know that in Lebanon, I think last time I checked, they have about 43 official religions or sects. So it's definitely a, a mosaic of everything. All type of Christianity, you get Maronite, you get Orthodox, you got, of course, Catholic, you get Muslim, but those are diverse, Sunnis here, you get Shia, you got Druze, um, you got everything of everything. And it, it's, a, it's definitely a the only country in that situation it has been created by the... Uh, Saxe-Pico. Saxe-Pico was some sort of uh, an agreement between the old uh, superpowers of that time, namely France and the UK, and it divided everything. It was called the Levant before, right? The Sham, Levant, which includes obviously um, Syria, Jordan, um, part of back then, uh, Palestine, and of course, Lebanon. And they said, okay, we're going to create this part, we're going to call it Lebanon, it's a mosaic of everything. And they had some sort of gentleman's uh, agreement. The president will be, like right now, his, I think his name is, uh, I forgot his name. Anyway, he's Christian, but the prime minister is Muslim, and they do something like that. But, of course, there was that famous civil war in uh, in the 80s, which started because there's a refugee camp there of Palestinians, which was attacked by Israel, and there was some sort of a coalition between them and the Christians. I think his name was... Uh, Samir Jaja back then and Michelle Aoun, and then it triggered for more than a decade, destroyed the whole country to the ground. As a matter of fact, back then, the movies, the action movies, when they were given examples of a destruction, they would say it's like Beirut. Right now they say it's like, uh, I think uh, Mark is from uh, Chicago, they say it's Chirac. It's like uh, Chicago and Iraq. It's like a hybrid of a name to give it in a basically a significance of uh, the violence available right now in Chicago, but back then it was Beirut. So I grew up watching that, all the factions here doing uh, the war. And people tried to rebuild it. I mean, as of late, one prominent figure is Al-Hariri. He was just the current, uh, the last prime minister. He's the, he's the son of uh, Hariri, who was a very rich man. These guys are married uh, to Saudis, so they have also connection with their money. And pretty much they helped build downtown. So downtown more or less was Hariri money, but mostly Saudi money. And it was brand new, modern, stable. But of course, the factions were still there. Needless to say that the South is controlled totally by Hezbollah, right? Shia uh, militia definitely allied with, uh, oh, I mean, openly with Iran, thus anti-Israel and anti-West by default, right? The North is controlled by the Sunnis. There is a, a city called uh, Tarablus. In uh, English, is Tripoli, right? Different from the Libyan side. And that one is a Sunni, um, basically, stronghold. You have the mountains controlled by the Christians. There is Zahli, which is one hour away. It's a small uh, country. There's not even a highway, like a proper highway in Lebanon. But when it turns bad, the tensions are high, are high. And uh, as you know, there's a big diaspora of Lebanese pretty much scattered all across the world. These guys fled uh, the, the first civil war. And unfortunately right now, a lot of them are resorting to the same solution because before this explosion, 
that was a very dire economic situation. Their lira, which is the currency, is almost worthless. Worthless. There are some sanctions because of Hezbollah, right? So when they sanction Hezbollah, they have to sanction the whole um, country. There is a big deal of corruption. To get an internet connection in Lebanon, you must know somebody. Uh, they, they have actually one of the most fertile, uh, basically, plain in the whole world. It's called the Beqa. The Beqa. It is technically the, the biggest, like the sweet spot. As you know, you are Jewish. It is supposedly part of the big holy land. Here it's Israel, the land of the honey. right? And that is Beqa, right? It is so fertile. It has been polluted beyond repair. They have an influx of refugees from Syria. Up to 25% of their population right now is of Syrian descent. So that's a burden. They need to go to school. They try to help them. They have 35% rate of unemployment. So it's definitely a recipe of disaster. Uh, we have in the West a big wave of Syrian because of the war there. I contend that the next will be a wave of uh, of uh, Lebanese. I'm not even talking about the COVID-19 basically issue, but they have to flee because they have no choice, dude. They have basically no choice now. So, Louis, do you, do you feel that this is industrial accident or it's uh, terrorist act? I, I strongly believe 99% that it is a negligence issue because it is documented since 2014. There was basically those fertilizers there and they were left unchecked. And again, it is part of the corruption. You need to know there's a big problem of corruption. M militias can enter ammunitions, arms, anything they want from there. Kensington Point, how was it, 2006? There was that small skirmish between Israel and Lebanon and uh, Hezbollah held their own versus Israel, which is insane. Israel is one of the biggest, uh, strongest armies and they, they were held and they, were, they had some trouble with that because these guys are armed by uh, Iran and they know their stuff. So they can enter pretty much everything from that port. Today, there was uh, uh, Macron, the president of France, who went there because technically, as I said, these were part of the big old colonies of both Britain and France. And Fra I mean, Syria and Lebanon was, was, were France. So right now they still have that some sort of um, umbrella, like Algeria speaks French and Lebanon speaks French. So the French president went there to talk to them and openly Macron told them straight up, you need to fix your corruption issue, which is a big intrusion. He went there and the funny thing is, or the, the sad thing is that he went to basically expect the explosion site before the Lebanese official. That's how big is the disconnection between the Lebanese people and their authorities. He went there, he came from Paris during COVID-19 and he did visit, he spoke to people and he told them, you guys need to fix this. Is it fixable? Unfortunately, I do not think so. So Mark, uh, you heard Louis's opinion. There's, uh, we know now there's five, uh, 5,500,000 pounds of explosive material there in that uh, warehouse. And uh, the, uh, I guess the, the opinion of most people there is that fireworks went off, hit the uh, the 5.5 million pounds of explosive material, and you saw the result of that. Do you believe that's what happened? What, what are your What are your thoughts on this whole thing? Yeah, and it's it's a it's a great question. And you know, point number one is if this was a terrorist group, 
terrorist groups love to brag about what they did. And there's been radio silence. Uh, so no one, most importantly, no one has claimed or bragged about responsibility for this. But as I know, and, and I know Louis as well, when there's, when you're in a country where there's high, high unemployment, uh, that's fertile ground, um, no pun intended, but it's fertile ground for um, terrorists uh, to come in. I mean, that's, that's their perfect scenario angry, unemployed people because uh, they come in there with cash and offering money and it's it's a great training and recruiting uh, opportunity. But, you know, uh, President Trump has been calling it an attack, has contradicted his defense secretary. Um, is it an accident? Is it an attack? You know, hopefully that the investigators will be able to reach a conclusion sooner rather than later. And I think I know that the United Nations and other uh, countries are sending help, not only humanitarian aid and assistance, but uh, hopefully some investigators so that we can really get to the bottom of it. But it is, I, someone knows that people knew that it was there and how explosive and dangerous this is. Um, so it's, it's tough to answer that right now, but I do have to hang my head on the fact that nobody has claimed responsibility yet. So my initial gut in, instinct or reaction is, it was an accident until we prove otherwise. Yeah, because one, one thing with ammonium nitrate, which is the chemical that, you know, decomposed and exploded, is that it doesn't take a whole lot of heat to decompose it. I think it's only like 300 degrees Fahrenheit. So, you know, a small fire could start the ignition. And once it, it starts, it decomposes so rapidly. And then obviously, we know, energy is neither created nor destroyed. You know, it just changes form. And what you're going to get is a lot of heat and, you know, energy exchange. So, yeah, when you say how many pounds was it? Five million five hundred thousand pounds. So it was essentially a small nuke. Yeah, they said three point five megatons is what it would be a, a close Ooh, to. You know? Yeah. So it's 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 it's. I think they said it's a, a twenty-five or thirty percent of a Hiroshima bomb. Yeah. So it looked like a small nuke, and then you think of too, like um, the Timothy Timothy McVeigh McVeigh yeah, bombing. It was like nothing compared to it. You know, and that, that was a you know a moving truck full it wasn't of like fertilizer. Five thousand pounds or five hundred pounds. Yeah, and that's why people use fertilizer for explosives because the ammonium nitrate in it and. Um, yeah, but I mean, you think like what it did to that building. I mean, hell, that was. It, did, it put a hole in the ground. Like, it, it literally like created a whole pier. It created the whole ground. I mean, it's insane. It's insane. So let's talk about uh, the political climate. We're in a unique spot in America right now, um, really unique spot in American history. So, you know, I, Eric and I are, I'm 40, Eric, you're 41. 43. 43. I, I could be 41 if you want me to be. Yeah, you're 40, whatever. <laughs> 40, whatever. And uh, so I was born in 1980, Eric was born in 1978. 77. Sorry. Keep, keep, keep trying to make you younger. Cool keep like, trying to make you younger. Um, so, you know, I've been alive for some weird stuff. Uh, there's certainly weirder stuff that has happened way before. And obviously, the times we live in right now, while people think, other than this period we're in right now, people think we live in really uh, high stress. And you know, Louis can talk about this high stress and very uncertain times. But in reality, we probably live in literally the golden era of humanity because there's much, much less violence now. There's much, much less uh, death from children. You know, back in the day, you have childbirth, you have a good chance, a significant chance of your child not surviving. I mean, or the mother, or yeah, the mother. I mean, it, man, life. Uh, think about the Middle Ages. People were dying left and right. They didn't even know wash their hands. You know, so like the uh, the the how far we've come to where we are now. Now we're so far ahead, but we are in a weird time for America for sure right now, where 
you know, we have so much uncertainty with the coronavirus, with the riots, with Black Lives Matter, with all these crazy things that are happening with the uh, a large portion of America not sure if they want to be a Marxist nation or, you know, a republic. So there's and there's politicians that are pushing people that don't know into um, thinking bad ideas are good ideas and that we can, you know, it's, it's such a weird time. So, uh, Mark, from your perspective, being there, you know, talking to some of the movers and shakers in the, uh, in the administration and people in politics in the world, what are people thinking? Do they think this is, you know, is this like, I know Louis Marco is going to, we're going to talk about him next. And I know he thinks it's messianic times and then the end is coming, but what are people thinking there in Washington, DC? Well, first of all, my mom thinks it's end times, and she's going back to the book of Revelations. You uh, and it's, your mom and, and Louie are going to get, get along great. <laughs> I think she would. You know, it is. It is. Um, it's unprecedented times, and, and Louie was right. I'm here in Chicago, Chirac, uh, and, you know, it, it's not good here. And I actually – Mark Meadows, who's the president's chief of staff, is actually a really close friend of mine, and – a couple of weeks ago, I reached out to him and 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 said, I just need to give you a brief of what's happening on the ground because I'm here. I live here. And I said, it's worse. It's worse than what's being projected on television. Uh, and he asked if I was if I if I had any fear. And I said, the answer was yes, I do. Um, it's just unprecedented. Um, you know, and I have a lot of friends who are Chicago police officers. And, um, you know, serving your community, it's an honorable profession. Being a police officer, first responder in the military, it's an honorable profession. Generations, um, uh, families are uh, police officers. It was what my great-grandfather and my grandfather did, right? And so, um, but to see how our police officers are, are being treated, they're afraid to do their jobs, um, I went on Newsmax last week and talked about there was the, when they removed the Columbus statue in downtown Chicago, the mayor or had it removed at three o'clock in the morning uh, because it was a crime scene. Um, and 49 police officers were injured and 18 were sent to the hospital. Many of them uh, are facing potential permanent blindness. And there hasn't been one single um uh, charge filed against these rioters, these domestic terrorists against our police officers, but yet they're reversing it and the protesters and the rioters are, are filing charges against the police officers. And so there, there isn't, no one's got their back. Uh, and I think we're in a tough line. They're that thin line of defense um, that, uh, that protect us from total chaos and, and anarchy. And last weekend I had uh, the honor of speaking at a, a Back the Blue rally in Chicago at the side of where that Columbus statue stood. And, you know, my message was clear. Uh, and I said, I have a special message from the White House. Uh, and I said, Governor Pritzker may not have your back. Mayor Lightfoot may not have your back. The Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox may not have your back. But I'm here to tell you, the President of the United States has your back. And the Attorney General of the United States has your back. And so we're really facing a perfect storm of there's protests turn rioters, um, issues. There are issues with Black Lives Matter. There's no question about it. Um, the escalation in violence and particularly gang violence here in Chicago uh, and, and the pandemic. You know, 40 million Americans were unemployed, have lost their jobs. 
people are desperate. We've seen alcoholism skyrocket. We've seen suicide skyrocket. We've seen um, uh, domestic violence, domestic abuse skyrocket. And so there's just a lot of these issues. And I think we're, we're living in some dark, dark times at the moment, but uh, as the eternal optimist, I'm, I, I remain hopeful that our, our best days are still ahead and America is still that shining city on a hill. So um, Mark, one of the things, first off with the statues, oh, I, mean, I don't, I mean, the statue. So I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana, and there's tons and tons and tons of Confederate statues there uh, in the cemetery and everywhere. Uh, I mean, they're, they're all over the place. And growing up there, you, you never, we never attached them. I mean, that New Orleans was, when I was there, we called, they called it the chocolate city. You know, there, there's many more black people that I grew up around, that I was friends with, that I was close to. And none of those people felt like the statues were demeaning in any way. It's just part of history. It wasn't a positive part of history. You weren't like, wow, these guys are the best. It just wasn't, it was just part of history. So for a Jewish guy, you know, Auschwitz, you know, still exists, Dachau, right? Auschwitz. Dachau, yeah, they, they all exist, but and they exist for a reason to be remembered because you can remember this wasn't right. So when you remove stuff, when you remove statues like they did in Russia, the czars, all the statues like they did in China with Mao, like they've done it many times in history, you know, this is a very, very bad, ominous sign. And so to remove statues because you want to remove that part of history is terrible. Now, Christopher Columbus, that statue they removed in Chicago. That's mind boggling because Christopher Columbus statues aren't to, um, you know, because obviously Christopher Columbus wasn't perfect. None of those guys were. If you think back to that time, they were all, they were all pieces of shit compared to now, right? We, we aren't the only good people ever. You're living in the times that you were, you're born in, right? So Christopher Columbus, no, he wasn't a great guy compared to, you know, the morals of today. But at the time they were all like this. So like he it represents finding and discovering America, right? Yeah, it's not about the No, I see the statues, I don't think, oh, he was really bad to the natives. The natives were really bad to each other. They were killing and raping the other, the other tribes. And then everybody who came here was bad. There, everybody was bad everywhere. And so you can't say, oh, Christopher Columbus shouldn't have a statue. Well, then nobody, the, the times were different. And nobody looks at, at least nobody I know, looks at Christopher Columbus and goes, oh, well, he was great because he, he subjugated people. No, he was great for a particular reason. And it's like, uh, it's a very, that's one of the ways it's a very weird time when you see stuff like that. Who, that's that's oh. not what, nobody's celebrating that. Well, I mean, think about it. It's like a scar, right? You do something fucked up, you get hurt, you have a scar. It's a it's a reminder of don't do that again. Yeah. So a lot of this, to me, the statues are just, they're not celebrations. They're just reminders of the past. And maybe it's for a good thing and maybe it's for a bad. But yeah, like you say, you know, Auschwitz still fucking exists. The most horrific place on the fucking planet. Yeah. I mean, seriously, the worst atrocities of the human life that ever happened, and it exists, and Jewish people go and visit it just as a reminder of what happened. Yeah, so 100%. Yeah, 100%. Louis, what do you think of this? Should statues be removed? Should history be removed? Uh, as you know, I, I, I like to think that I was some sort of a visionary because I, I sent you information years ago when they started the cancellation. They started a long time ago. For me, first of all, SJW and liberalism, when it goes to this extreme, it's like a Pandora box. They know no stop. It's like a black hole with no bottom to it. They cannot stop. And the trend is going uh, from worse to worse. Uh, they started by canceling Shakespeare. I sent you an information about it because obviously it was too white. Uh, they started to remove the painting in Oxford University. They do it in Yale. Uh, 
And of course, right now they're attacking your, your stat. This is like the wet dream of the Soviets of old. I mean, Khrushchev, if he was alive or Stalin, he would be definitely happy because you are destroying yourself. This is the foundation of your country. When will it stop? They will have to destroy every single, basically, president or uh, founding father on your bills. They have to destroy Mount Rushmore, pretty much everything. They canceled today uh, kindergarten cop today because uh, obviously it glorifies police and also it traumatizes kids last week my mom was was shocked because they canceled one of, of her all-time favorite movie i think in english it's called gone with the wind it's a classic they canceled it because uh, according to them it's too triggering they did a, uh, basically a study a uh, few, few days ago and they said if seinfeld and friends were aired today 90 percent of the episodes would be too triggering and not politically uh correct so nothing is okay now nothing is okay it's like you can do nothing everybody checks himself and it's going too far will they stop i don't think so i think they have no no bottom i mean last week elon musk to, to go back to elon he posted i hate i hate pronouns He's alluding to the fact that he believes, like, like myself, that our two genders. Next thing you know, everybody went mad. Even his current girlfriend, she basically virtue uh, signaled. She said, stop it, please. This is not you. I'm, I'm against hate. You see what I mean? So right now, you're not even allowed to voice that you believe in, in two genders in biology. Will it stop? Unfortunately, I contend not. These guys are getting too numerous. They took over academia a while ago. They brainwashed whole generations and millennials and Zoomers, which is the latest Generation Z, are totally sold to that idea. So I think 2020 is worse and more extreme than what, when we saw four years ago. It was already quite heated, but this year it's a perfect storm. Let's face it, economy is bad. You get COVID-19, you get China, you got these wars here and there. I think it's definitely a worse situation. With uh, It's a perfect scenario for an end time, basically, Armageddon kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely pessimistic. So, I know you are. <laughs> I know you are. So, Mark, so Mark um, you heard Louis' opinion. Do you think that, how much do you think this focus on this craziness and the things we're seeing in this video and removing the statues and all these things are politicized? How much of this is pushed by, like you mentioned, the liberal media or, you know, in general, to uh, to oust out the current administration of bringing somebody different. How much of this is put um, by that? And how much of it's just the, the way it is these days? A lot of it's political. And unfortunately, it's pandemic politics. And I'm here in Illinois and particularly in Chicago. It's a Democratic-run state. We've had a Democratic mayor since 1927. And it's clear, you know, that every issue that the mayor and the governor here in my own own state like to point their finger and blame the president. And my point has always been this. If it's not about, if this isn't about politics, then why aren't you marching on the south side of Chicago, governor, mayor, community, and church leaders talking about Black Lives Matter? Because all of the deaths are happening on the south side of Chicago, and almost all of them are African-Americans. The governor was quick to sign executive orders because 
it's too dangerous to go to restaurants and bars. And so we need to shut down all the restaurants and bars. And, and then four days later, it's too dangerous to leave your home. So we had a 72 day stay at home order, 72 days. But yet my question is governor, where's the executive orders protecting the African-Americans on the South side of Chicago? Two weeks ago, we there was 15 victims at a shooting at a funeral in Chicago. Uh, it's gang related. And so I think that, uh, you know, the politics is nasty because I, I mark my words. I think Illinois shuts down before the election. Why? Because pissed off voters who uh, can't leave their home, who can't go to their job, who are unemployed, their political gamble is that helps Joe Biden. Uh, and so the, the Democratic-run cities, the Democratic-run states are going to do everything they can to hurt Donald Trump uh, in November. And a lot of I take some criticism for this, but I think the day after the election, no one's going to be talking about the coronavirus anymore. We're going to move on to something different. Uh, and But yeah, unfortunately, this has become so partisan, so political, and and uh, you can describe it nothing more, nothing else but pandemic politics. So Mark, Mark, well, I got you here and I'm going to go to Louie on this before we go to something, I have another topic that I wrote down, but um, so here we have 125 or so, we have, well, we have more if you include the gym, maybe 140 employees total. And we don't have anybody at the gym, not even a member. We have a thousand members at the gym or so now, and none of employees of the 140 or so people we have employed uh, nobody has died from the coronavirus and none of their family have died from the coronavirus. The people that we do know that have gotten the coronavirus, the very, very few have had very little to no symptoms and right. I mean, that's and fast recovery and extremely fast recoveries, not like two weeks, I'm talking like a day or two, like, right. I mean, it's oh, right. yeah, it was, it was fast, like so fast that you're like, wait, you sure you had it? You probably, let me see their test result. And, uh, and, and it, Boom, they're back. They're normal, totally normal. They don't, not only do they not have a, a temperature or like feel bad, they're like totally normal. They're like, well, I'm normal now. I want to go back. Right. And, and so my question is for you, Mark, how many people do you know personally that have been uh, negatively affected in the sense of, you know, and there's nothing, I mean, obviously we know people because we know Bernie, right? Bernie's mom uh, passed away. Older people, I know Bernie's mom is in her 80s or 90s, right? That's right. And that's terrible. Obviously, it's it's horrible because people are dying. It's not like nobody's dying. But do you know people your age that have passed away from COVID-19? Do you know people that have suffered and been ventilated that, that's in your age group? I don't know anyone my own age group, but my parents have an associate pastor at their church in the Chicago suburbs that died of COVID. Herman Cain, who passed away um, very, very sad uh, last week from COVID. Her Herman was a very good friend of mine. In fact, in February, when the last time uh, when I spent the weekend at Mar-a-Lago, uh, Valentine's Day weekend, um, it was a guy's trip. And I said, guys, this is a little bit weird, Valentine's Day weekend at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, but Herman Cain was part of that group. And so I got to spend an entire weekend with them in February. You know, we all had breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, he was a brand new contributor to Newsmax. He just launched his new show on Newsmax. Unfortunately, he only recorded one episode before he was hospitalized. Uh, but um, Herman was a was a dear friend of mine. We exchanged messages, and um, uh, you know, you just never know that uh, when you say 
when you sign off with someone that it's going to be the last time. And so, you know, it did make uh, this, this uh, coronavirus a little bit more real uh, because of my friendship and great respect for, for Herman Cain. And, and, uh, and I'll ever always remember, you know, if you'll allow me, uh, he's a class act and we were having lunch at uh, uh, Palm beach, uh, Trump, the president's uh, golf club in Palm beach, Trump international. And the president had just played 36 holes with Ricky Fowler. And, uh, we were at a, a private table and Herman Cain was there and the president walked in and uh, noticed Herman right away and said, you know, Herman Cain, 999. So he was trying to explain to Ricky Fowler, this is Herman Cain. He ran for president. People not remember Herman Cain, but they remember 999. I mean, it was genius. It was brilliant. And so we had lunch and the president's table was right next to ours. But um, when we got up to leave, the president asked Herman Cain, to stay behind and because he wanted to talk to him and he invited him to join him at the table. And Herman Cain looked at the group that he was with, all of us, and he said, Mr. President, uh, I arrived with my group. I'm going to leave him with my group. Uh, and so um, he said no. And uh, we all jumped in an Uber together and headed back to the hotel. Uh, and that night we had dinner at Mar-a-Lago. And then in the morning we flew out uh, and we all sort of arrived at the airport and went our, went our separate ways. So uh, it's tragic. And I know we've lost uh, 150, 160,000 people, but here's my last point on this. And if you're the president of the United States, you know, it's a tough decision. The Wall Street Journal did a, a pretty robust analysis. Close to 60,000 COVID deaths were in nursing homes and assisted care facilities. Over 250,000 positive cases were in nursing homes and assisted care facilities. And so my question, I ask everybody this, would we shut down the entire economy and put 40 million people out of work uh, for a uh, pandemic that kills, you know, 80, 90,000 people? Uh, probably not. Uh, and so there's going to be uh, an interesting analysis post pandemic analysis, but uh, we can't just look at the victims uh, that have unfortunately and tragically passed away because of COVID. We also have to look at there's other victims, the students, uh, that can't that uh, uh, couldn't say goodbye to their friends senior year to um, you know the children who relied on going to school because it was their only meal uh, and now that they're home they're not guaranteed they're not getting meals uh, and and domestic abuse and child abuse and suicide all of these things so it's uh, again it's a it's a perfect storm but um, you know we've got to look at the whole picture as opposed to just from a scientific or medical perspective. It's a, you know it's, a, it's such an interesting thing where it's like because it's very uh it almost sounds heartless to talk about you know we talk about hundred thousand people dying like mark you mentioned if eighty thousand people die do you shut down the economy right and so it's such a it's such a a tough thing and i i can't be i can't even imagine being in the position of the president of the united states making a decision like that with those kind of metrics because to to think of eighty hundred fifty thousand people dying it's like such a astronomically large number and a, a toll that doesn't just take a toll on the per people it takes a toll on all the families but there is there needs to be right Eric, there needs to be some thought on like what do you do because it's not just about those people it's about the 350 million people who live in america and then it's about the billions of people who live in the world so it's very tough to make a decision right yeah and like I, i'm super logical maybe sometimes to a fault but it's like you take the information like you say, you have to look at what's the total cost of this. And 
unfortunately, it does become like a math problem of, yep. hey, this many people may die from it, but they also might have died from the flu. They might have died from something else. Because um, we didn't have this type of massive oversteering on H1N1, SARS, you so know, so that were more yeah. deadly than, you know, the coronavirus. So that's the interesting thing is nobody's, you know, to Mark's point, nobody's, I'm sure that people are looking at it, but nobody's really like stepping back and going, the actual cost that this is, and when I say cost, I mean the human cost of shutting everything down is far greater than the 80,000 people that we've lost so far because Mark's point, the domestic abuse, the you know people oh, who- man, you drug know, addiction, all yeah, crazy. Yeah, I mean, all the crazy stuff that goes on that, again, getting out of the house is an escape for people. Of course. You know, now you've just created a pressure cooker, which then leads all this other shit that's going and on. And also, you know, one of the things that when they say shelter in place and people sit at home in their house and don't get into the sun, they don't go interact with people, they're not, you know, they're not around uh, friends and family. They're not able to go. I mean, man, that that alone takes a, such a huge toll where it's like, you want to talk about depression. You want to talk about causing, you know, even like seasonal depression, which, you know, obviously, which happens to people in the, not here in Florida, but elsewhere up north, you know, you, you are literally fostering that. And then obviously not exercising, eating junk food. Think about the Corona 15, like the freshman 15. You gain weight. It's like all the things that you should be doing to prevent dying from coronavirus, like getting out in the sun, being active, you know, losing weight, you do all the opposite. Exacerbate right? You exacerbate all the problem, and then you cause depression too. So, uh, you know, man. Well, well, think about it, like solitary confinement. Part of that type of punishment is to break someone. Yeah. To physically and mentally break someone, <clears throat> put them in a small but box. Now, now we're suggesting that. We're literally forcing society into solitary confinement. And Louis Marco's one that's also on solitary confinement. He bought enough meat to last for a year. Isn't that right, Louis? No, actually, uh, remember, I, I, I could have won 100K because we had a bet you and me. said, no, no, we're not going to do it because you did not believe it's going to be this big. I told you. Yeah, I just, full, full disclosure for anybody <laughs> out there. Louis Marco told me, I think in December or January, like, hey, prepare. Um, coronavirus is coming. He told me he really did. And this is not an exaggeration. He, I, I could probably, if I went way, 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 way back in our, in our text message exchange, he literally told me, hey, this shit's going to be terrible. It's going to be bad. A lot of people are going to die. And I'm like, yeah, okay, Louis. Mm -hmm. I, I, I may have even brought up the example of uh, back in the day. I don't know how long ago that was. A few years ago. Maybe it was a little more than that. Uh, there was a big deal about Ebola. Ebola is going to be everywhere. I'm like, in that, nothing happened, right? And this, nothing. Like H1N1, nothing happened. Even though a lot did happen. I didn't. I wasn't aware of it. Um, and I said, get out of here. You're, you're such a pessimist. And, you, and he is such a pessimist. Um, but uh, but he was he was right. You're right, Louis. So full full disclosure, Louis did warn me like way before anybody else knew anything. Proper. Now, personally, I do not know anybody who uh, who perished, thankfully, from the sickness. However, I lost count of uh, my trainees and my clients who, who were sick, but all of them recovered. Some of them actually did not even bother stopping their training. Uh, they did very well. These are young men. And that it amazing. However, if we talk about the adverse side effects of the confinement, I'm getting back old clients now with huge weight gain because of this, obviously, like 40, 50 pounds, depressions. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the secondary effects, I think, are almost worse than the thing. Case in point, my mom follows what, what happens in Algeria. She's always connected there. And they do daily reports. Most people die, unfortunately are elderly and sick people. Same happens in France, which I follow on a daily basis. 
they had a terrible issue in their nursing houses. And actually up here in my province, Quebec, it was terrible. I mean, like 99% of the deaths here are all concentrated in nursing homes. Why? Because people who work there, they have like several shifts. They can work like two days here and then two days there and they transfer a lot. And that was the main cause of the infiltration of the virus. But yeah, the fact of the matter is it affects very fragile, sick, and mostly elderly people. Do I think it is necessary to shut down the economy like it is? No. But then again, we, love, we live in a global village. So you cannot put yourself as an isolated government and take a decision that is somehow cavalier. It's, it's insane. I mean, look what happened to the Minister of Health of the, the Netherlands, aka Holland. He fell to the ground. I mean, he, he couldn't take it. I mean, the pressure was so strong because they started to do that uh, basically herd immunity approach like the, like the UK, and the pressure was, was too much. Interestingly enough, the only country actually who did that, uh, successfully so, is Sweden. And they're very, very liberal. They say, hey, listen, we're not going to close the gyms. Uh, we'll have the restaurants open. The economy is open with some mild restrictions. Obviously, the UK tried to do that, and they backed down right away because of their specialists. So, okay, it's going to be a, a mess, plus their prime Minister Boris Johnson uh, was uh, infected. So yeah, you cannot, you cannot take this as an isolated case. But you need to recognize and to know that your democracy is a special one. Like in France, you have Macron, who is the president. If he makes an order, the whole country will obey. There is no sub-governments. We call them departments, uh, département, which are like de uh, de departments. But that don't have the power that you guys have in your state. You have two uh, chambers, you have governors. So Como is doing whatever he wants. He's obviously opposite to the uh, opinion of your president. This is some sort of a special democracy which we have here, right? Uh, it does not happen as well. There is one head of the government. So if Boris Johnson says something, the whole UK follows suit. And it is the same thing in every economy. Even the biggest democracy in the world, when Modi in India says something, the whole country obeys. In your country, fortunately, there is this di division. The mayors are against the president. You get your governors. It's always uh, arm wrestling. So that, that's why it is more, more special in your country. Yeah. You mentioned Sweden. So Sweden is one of the, So I sent Eric uh, and a bunch of other people also um, a video that I was very interested in, an uh, epidemiologist um, that was talking about what they're doing in Sweden. That's what we shoot in America. This is before. This is... In, maybe March or early March or February, remember? And this is the guy that I want to send you, yeah. And uh, he said that what we should do is we should take the old people, the people that are infirm, that have a, a compromised immune system, uh, and put the, help those people fund the, the ability to, you know, not be out in the public and uh, shelter, et cetera, so to uh, quarantine. And uh, the rest, kids, everybody else, it should all be open and everything will be okay. And that's what Sweden did. It's a great success, better, way better than America, way better than really anywhere. And uh, it shows that that guy was uh, was right. And I remember showing that to a lot of people. And they're like, eh, I don't know. And, and uh, me and Eric were and among, among several other people were like, kind of makes sense. And now after the fact, obviously, hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? And uh, obviously, also the president, I can't imagine the pressure because everybody thinks everything's wrong. Yeah. And you have this huge faction, this huge portion of people that 
disagree with anything no matter what. So even like with China, with him saying, don't, you can't, you know, cancel flights. China, people are like this, racist, this, you know, xenophobic asshole piece of shit, you know. And, and then now, you know, after the fact, we we're like, well, should he should have canceled all the flights earlier. He should have closed all the borders. And now you can only imagine. Imagine in January, he closed all the borders to America. Nobody can come in. Yeah. Would have been, I can't even imagine what happened, you know? Yeah, he's in, he's in a position. We've talked about this. It doesn't no matter what decision he makes, he's going to be villainized. There is no yeah. way to win. There's absolutely no way to win. So, you know, um, one of the things that I, uh, I talked to about Luke Marco all the time, and uh, uh, it was actually Mark mentioned it himself, end of times, so messianic times. Louis, give us your opinion right now. Number one, how did you prepare for the coronavirus? You know, and then also, how do you think this all will end? Oh, well, I, well, as soon as I sent you that um, that message back in January, I think very early journey, I, I prepared all my food, which I have still, my proteins, uh, Everything I need was was prepped. I have my own squat rack here because I stopped going to the gym. And obviously, I work from home. My mom uh, is here as well. So we were ready from that thing. And I told this to my closest friends and also a lot of my followers on my social media. And they did uh, thank me for that. When it comes to the messianic time, you should note to our viewers as well uh, that I, may, I, I told you a lot about your own belief right? Judaism. I do believe in things that you do not believe, which are Judaism related, right? So I always was interested in these uh, basically uh, religious uh, belief and your own belief, who is, which is the, uh, the oldest one, obviously. Judaism always talk about some sort of a messianic time. And you guys pray every Saturday, every Shabbat for the Messiah to come. Of course, there is a big um, uh, contention when it comes to his identity. Obviously, Christians and Muslims believe that he's uh, Jesus, whereas you guys know you're still awaiting that. But it is a central, basically, belief that your life and your studies since more than three millennia is, is built around. So it is there, right? So there's a consensus between all beliefs that there will be a figure at the end of time, some sort of a savior that will come and before his arrival, there'll be a big turmoil. I mentioned before Armageddon. Now, Armageddon in Arabic is called, is named Haram Majido. Haram is, means literally in Arabic, a pyramid. It is a place right there in the Middle East. Right now, I think it's in Lebanon, if I'm not mistaken. Right? And uh, they say there will be some sort of a great battle at the end of time. And uh, after that will arise basically a leader, and he will bring... Uh, peace. So we agree uh, on this. And right now, unfortunately, I think there is some sort of a perfect storm, not only because of the political environment, but also what I'm interested in is the the values. The values are definitely going down the drain. Um, it is taking some sort of a backseat right now because of what's happening. But 2019 was uh, the cancel culture, was uh, masculinity is toxic, Every movie that comes has some SJW brainwashing, attacking the very values, the very core, and the foundation of our civilization. I'm sorry, but La, uh, La Renaissance was all European dudes. I mean, you can open the book, you can open the dictionary, but most of the inventors, the scientists, they were white dudes. And right now, these guys are vilified and they're basically being attacked left, right, and center. 
The last movie I watched was uh, Ferra uh, Ford versus Ferrari. A true story. A true story of Henry Ford, not Henry Ford, sorry, his uh, uh, grandson ch uh, challenging Enzo Ferrari and beating him at Le Mans tremendously as a proper event. It was criticized because it showed only two men, two actors who are men, doing battle. I mean, you would not modify that. It's proper history. Same happened with the movie Dunkirk, uh, World War II, obviously, when the British uh, basically invaded, um, tried actually to, uh, to, uh, to conquer France, which was occupied by the Nazis. That was a big outrage to SJW media. How come you only show basically white soldiers? Well, I'm sorry, the Brits and the French of back then, they were just white boys doing battle and dying on the beaches. So whatever you do, you get criticized. I'm not even talking about the famous movie franchises who were fam I mean, who were basically all men. They transformed them into females. I mean, Ocean 8, which was obviously a disaster. Uh, Ghostbusters, four guys that became four women, and it was a disaster. It was a flop. Not only that, when it's a flop, they still blame men. They say, okay, because of you men, you gave it bad, uh, bad reviews or you refrain from going watch it. So then if you do, then if you don't. They just showed every single franchise. Right now, there is Batwoman. The movie, um, um, uh, what's the name, actually? Bat, not Battlefield, actually. Fight Club. The next one will be all women. Um, obviously, Star Wars. Star Wars uh, is, is openly the, uh, saying the future is female. Uh, the leader became an SJW with some, uh, actually, uh, pink hair. Right, and all the guys are just dumb, they're stupid. Uh, so there was a proper attack versus masculinity, but, but there's no pun intended. Patriarchy built human society, take it from uh, the Persians, the Nabataeans, uh, take it from the Babylonians, uh, you go to the Egyptians. I'm sorry, but it was all that. Uh, patriarchy built things. Men are competitive, they're, they, they are creators. And with all due respect, it was our nature. Uh, the, the, the human uh, race uh, is dysmorphic. The man is bigger than the woman. Right? He is stronger. He goes into battle. He is an explorer. Right? We have complementary roles, but we are different. If you see that there's two genders and basically there's biology and a man is different from a woman, you get attacked. Right now they're saying there is no gender. Gender is a social construct. And this is part of the reason... I am retiring because I don't agree with the current narrative. It's just insane for me. When I tell them there are two genders, it is too triggering. But I'm sorry. If you are this way and I have added more power to you, I am out. I do not play this game. And unfortunately, they get more numerous for the reasons I mentioned before. They control academia. They control the media. The fight is unfair. You guys barely have... Fox News as some sort of conservative outlet. All the rest is them. So that, at the end of the day, they're multiplying more. It is where it is. Mark, what do you think? Is, uh, how do you feel about Louis' opinions? There's a lot. There's a lot there to dig deep into. Yeah, there's a. There's certainly a lot to digest. No question about it. Um, you know, it is. Do I think it's end times? No, but you're right. I mean, we've gotten. Perfect example, and I've spoken to several Christian college presidents. Um, you know, for a university, a lot of their revenue comes from 
or additional revenue comes from renting out your space, you know, right to uh, athletic tournaments uh, throughout the state. And, and, um, but here's the big challenge. Now you get some of these um, uh, athletic organizations that are saying, well, we're not going to spend any money and, and send these tournaments to your campuses unless you build a separate bathroom, a transgender bathroom. Uh, and so it puts, you know, particularly like Christian universities, it, it paints them into a corner because it's against their their belief system that they do not want. It's a men's woman or in a women's bathroom. They're not going to create a transgender bathroom. But yet all of the revenue that comes from uh, hosting these events year round and these conferences and these tournaments and all the revenue that it pumps into a, a, a university. And so, you know, it, it is crazy times when you've got, um, you know, these organizations that are saying, you know, in order for us to host these events, uh, you have to build a, a transgender bathroom. And so, you know, we're, I think we're kind of losing it uh, as, as a country, but, you know, um, my mom, every time I talk to her, she's always reminding me of revelation, but I, I don't think that we're getting close to end times, but, um, but I do think that um, there is a silver lining. For example, this was, this was tough. I was hosting a zoom meeting with about 65 people for Oracle for startups and my internet connection crashed. And, and so I was uh, without connectivity trying to get in for five minutes when I got back in, no one left. And the mindset was, this is COVID, right? This is our new reality. Hey, it happens. If that would have happened pre-COVID, isn't it interesting how our, our language now is pre and pre-COVID? This had happened before COVID, pre-COVID. Who knows? Maybe half of the group would have left, but everyone stayed on. And so- um, hey Mark, you think it'll be PC and PP? Yeah, PC okay. and PP? Post-COVID, pre-COVID? There might be, you know, there might be, but uh, I could see, you know, and, and I've been on uh, online meetings where, uh, you know, connectivity has crashed on other people. And remarkably, there's a lot of patience now uh, with everyone working from home and, you know, using Zoom and Skype and these sorts of things to communicate with each other. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it is a weird time, right, Eric? I mean, th this is such a unique, it's hard to even to surmise it in words now because we, we are heading into you know, November, which will be election season, which will be arguably crazier. And as Mark said, I know Eric and I both believe that uh, uh, Mark, Eric and I both believe that that we are going to be heading into crazier times. And then truthfully, that after November, I believe that it will settle down and that things will come to a status quo to some degree or another. Obviously, it will be uh, sleepy Joe Biden or Trump will win again. And if Trump wins again, oh, it's going to be fucking chaos. Again. It's going to be chaos, too. So, I don't, you know, I want to believe it'll be calmer after November, but it, I mean, it may even get crazier after November. That's the thing is it's like, you want to believe it. I want to believe it that, that, that people will be like, okay, well, you know, now look, he won again, he's got four more years or this other guy, you know, he's got his four years, who cares? They can't really, I mean, one of the things about presidents, right. In, in history. And, and right now we're in a weird time, like I said, but history, you just hope the president doesn't do anything that hurts you. You should never hope the president's going to help you. Because re in reality, it's it's really all about just, you know, that position is meant to be a leader, but not to be a game changer. And so hopefully that is truly what happens and uh, and things move forward. Right, Eric? I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, my thing, I guess I look at is if Trump gets reelected, 
He can't be reelected for a third term. Yeah, that's right? it. He's done. So he, gets he can to... kind of say fuck it and throw caution in the wind and be like, I'm going to run this country like a business, like I have. I'm going to open it up oh, yeah. and do what's right, and you know, bring it back around. I mean, that's what I would do. And I and I know uh, and I know uh, Mark and I know somebody that would have told you that he's that he's that's exactly what he's planning on doing. If he wins, it's going to be like, well, now I'm going to go all in and I'm yeah. going to do it the way that I really truly believe it. I don't no more tip game. Fuck no, that's it. I'm all in now. You know, I'm pushing my my chips in the middle of the table because I got four years and that's yep. it. Louis, do you think it's going to get better? Before it gets worse, or do you think it's we're good? Well, I know what everybody's gonna say, but you tell <laughs> us. Do you think after November it's gonna get better, or do you think it's gonna get worse? I did a survey actually uh, three days ago, I think with RT, and two thirds of the left, the liberal, they said they would have a tremendous PTSD reaction if Trump gets re-elected again, and that number is merely a third when it comes to the conservatives. So conservatives. One third of them will not like the outcome, and the others will have basically a hectic. Remember those kind of episodes of PTSD. I've lost sixteen thousand followers in one day when Trump won in 2016. Sixteen thousand followers on my Instagram went away because I voiced my my happiness that Hillary lost. My, I was ha- I didn't like her, right? And obviously, I'm not American. I have no longer that fight, but you know, I just voiced my opinion. So yeah, it is very divisive. There is a lot of um, animosity in your country. And of course, the reaction would be absolutely staggering if he does it for a second time. The reaction of the liberals, they are known to have, you know, you guys have right now some sort of a famous phenomenon. It is the Karens phenomenon, which is middle-aged white women going crazy and berserk. Did you guys notice that? Oh, yeah. yeah we got a bunch of Karens around here. Yeah. The Karens are... Uh, in my reckoning, well, basically some sort of a, they, they, they lack some some drama. And right now they're going in Portland, Oregon. They call themselves the, the crazy moms or the mad moms, right? And they're basically doing battle versus the feds every single night. So these guys, imagine, it's not even the election time. I think they will get worse. And they're basically, uh, craziness will definitely go overboard so yeah the other side is definitely crazy they have no boundaries they totally wrecked uh, the hell holes which are the big metropolitan cities san francisco la right now new york is becoming just like la i contend that in few weeks there will be some apps to show you all the feces that will be dispersed in nyc just like there is an app right now in uh, san francisco so you can avoid where the homeless people and the drugs actually, I think you went there uh, maybe a year ago with uh, with Eric, right? To San Francisco. Yeah, I've been before. I haven't gone. I've been. Well, we went to. You, we went you to and I went to. We went to. Oh yeah, we went to Facebook, but that was in Palo Alto. We've been. Yeah. I've been to California a bunch of times, and I, I know when I went to uh, re- relatively recently, my wife and I went to um, to um, Santa Monica, and the amount of homeless people all around the pier, and then also even uh, by Gold's Gym, you know, you walk oh, by horrible. Gold's. So if you walk up north of Gold's Gym, you'll pass by the new uh, YouTube, Google Studios. And man, there is like hundreds and hundreds of tents and people sleeping on the sidewalks and doing drugs. It's it's uh, astounding. I've never, you know, coming from New Orleans, we have lots of homeless people and I've never experienced anything like that before. I think this is the future of a lot of big cities in North America, in your country. New York, as you saw yesterday, Como, Como is bagging, literally bagging 
the rich uh, New Yorker to come back because they fled to basically Connecticut. They went to the Hamptons and they're big taxpayers and most likely they're not coming. I know a lot of realtors there and they're confirming the trend. People are just fleeing the big cities. Lawlessness, defund the police. So this is the consequence. There you have it. So is it getting better? I don't think so. Frankly, I wish I, wish I was wrong, but the trend is just going downward. Will it go up one day? I think before before anything comes back up, we need some sort of a big reset. Your biggest baby boom was after your World War II. It is what it is. Um, your biggest, I mean, you guys acquired 80% of, of world's gold after basically World War II. You rebuilt Europe via a plan called the Marshall Plan, right? That all Western Europe was, was you rebuilding it. So you benefited a lot. Uh, from that. It was a big, big event. I mean, your soil was not affected aside from Pearl Harbor. And it was, that's what made you the, the superpower. Before World War II, you guys were, were not even in the plan. Nobody was considering you. People were thinking that France was the, was the biggest superpower. They were bragging about it. That was Maréchal Pétain. He said, we have uh, the Maginot Line. The Nazis will never be able to cross the Maginot Line. We are the colony power. We have we have Africa. We have all these colonies. We have technology. They thought we were just the best. Their general was named Daladier. He was an old dude from First World War One, actually. And he said, "No, we're going to take these Nazis." Next thing you know, the Nazis march into Paris in merely few days. That was demoralizing. Taking and taking the colonial power that quick was the biggest blow ever. And that's what makes you big. And actually, uh, Churchill was begging you, literally, he was begging Roosevelt to join the war. He said, we are crumbling under the V2s. You know, the, uh, the, they're being sent there. We're being destroyed. Every, actually, was, uh, Canada was, obviously, was part of the crown back then. It, it was sending, like, uh, ships to try to, to help Britain. And one, uh, one on two was sink. So it was like 50% chance of, of, uh, of dying. It was a dire situation. So you guys became a superpower after a big, big catastrophe. Uh, I do contend for another reset. That would be, uh, that need to be some sort of a major event. You guys are colliding headfirst with China. China is taking over every single port in Africa. The resources, they're buying everything. They, they bought ports in Pakistan, uh, the South Sea. Obviously, there is some tension with the Philippines. Uh, tensions with Australia. So these guys are taken over. And for the record, I was I was documenting, and you recall a few months ago before COVID-19, Chinese are buying my downtown. Every single big new building, I mean, they, 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 there is three writing. There is uh, French and then English and then Mandarin because the biggest buyers are Chinese. Chinese are growing and sooner or later you have to collide with them. I think it is starting. Well, Let's hope that we don't go to war with the Chinese because that will obviously be a huge conflict that uh, that nobody wants and certainly we don't want. I think, you know, I don't know about you, Eric, but I think the coronavirus is a big enough disaster to, uh, to you know, get the economy going full speed again. What do you think? Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in there's one thing that fixes a lot of shit. Hard work. Hard work, like 100%. Just, you got problems, you just buckle down and work hard. And obviously that's, I, I don't know, I think that's maybe part of it. I'll get my soapbox for two seconds. But, you know, 
I think that's part of the problem too. I mean, we joke around about TikTok and OnlyFans and all that shit, but that's someone's idea of work anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think people have forgotten the value of building something. Um, you know, the basic stuff. I mean, hell, most people can't change a fucking light bulb in their own house. Yeah. Um, it's just because they just lack a, a basic set of skills. And, you know, I think a lot of that has just compounded on itself over time. And now, you know, that's the whole sheeple thing, you know, where people just don't like, they don't have a leg to stand on anymore. So yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of things, but I'm hoping that out of the coronavirus, you know, because there's, it's almost like war, right? There's so much loss. People have to rebuild. People that's, are going to have to come together and rebuild. That's what I'm hoping here. Cause that's inevitable. And uh, hopefully, you know, you do have two very different sides here. Mark is uh, like me. He is uh, and like you, he's uh, optimistic. Uh, Louis is pessimistic by, <laughs> by nature. And, and we, we talk, he and I talk about this all the time is that we're yin and yang. I believe everything's going to be okay. He thinks nothing's going to be okay. And, uh, and Mark uh, is very similar to me and you and, and believes it's going to be okay. And America's going to be just fine. And everybody's going to be okay after this craziness pass. And it is just temporary. And I guess time will tell. And uh, I would love to have, uh, Louie, and of course, Mark back on. Mark will be our, if he comes back again three times, will be uh, by far and away the number one guest on the show. Right, Mark? That's right. Hey, I like to break records like Trump. I like to break records. Uh, so it'd be great to have, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave you with this. I know you guys are wrapping it up, but I'm going to leave you with this, something to think about. I know we're talking on a high note, but here's why this election matters. And I've been talking, I did a couple of interviews about this. If Donald Trump loses, the Manhattan District Attorney and the Southern District of New York, they want to put President Trump and his entire family in prison. And you're already beginning to see this now with what's happening in Manhattan with the District Attorney, with his tax returns. Now they're looking for corruption. And we know you don't have to create you don't have to commit a crime. They can create crimes and make up crimes. Uh, and it's very clear what's happening in New York right now. And President Trump and his entire family, they have targets on their back. And so uh, I would say that um, if and I'm confident the president will win re-election, it's not going to be easy, but I'm confident he's going to win re-election. But if he doesn't, you're already seeing um, sort of the chess pieces move, particularly in Manhattan with the lawyers there and the attorneys, that what's going to happen and what their objective is, and that is to go after President Trump. Well, we're, uh, we're hoping – Things like that don't happen, but I do see what you're talking about there. And obviously, if people are following the news, if you haven't yet, go check that out. Because Mark's right, there is a lot of stuff happening in Manhattan at this very moment um, that would lead you to believe that that's that's the case. So um, I want to thank everybody for being on the show. Uh, this was episode number twelve of the Readiness Report. Like I said, next week we have Roger Stone. The following week, David General David Petraeus. Thanks to Mark. And uh, the show is certainly taking off. Hopefully, you guys enjoy it. Hopefully, got you thinking about the future, about what's going on in America and the world right now. And uh, hopefully, provided you some value. So make sure, if you did like it, to tune in next week. And please share the show. The show is available not just on uh, YouTube and Facebook Live and obviously going on forward. But the more popular, believe it or not, the, the number one thing that's happening is uh, iTunes and Spotify, along with Stitcher. But iTunes and Spotify, the numbers are pretty, uh, pretty staggering. So... You don't. You can tell people if they don't have time to tune in and, and watch the show straight through like this. There is an opportunity to listen to it when you drive home from work or wherever you're going to go. Cardio, whatever. Cardio, you're cardio. Yeah, we have a lot of cardio people. So thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you too for being on the show, Mark and Louie. And we'd love to have you both back. Until next week, we're out.
Redcon 1 has already invaded gyms worldwide, now we're ready to invade the beaches. Show off those gains with this weekend's summer beach deal. As always, the more you spend, the more you'll save. Spend $50 or more on our site and you'll automatically receive the free Red Squadron tank. We'll even let you choose one of these two custom exclusive limited edition shakers. Once these are gone, they're gone and they will not be back. Spend $65 or more and we'll throw in a drawstring bag and even a little more spending $85 and we'll throw in the RC1 beer palm kit. The ultimate beach package, you cannot beat that deal. As an added bonus, save 30% off the entire cart at checkout when you use the code RED30. Make it a beach day with the family and get in some fresh new Redcon gear. Visit Redcon1.com right now and start saving today.